0: I remember the first vacation we took after my dad died, when I learned that always believing there is a right way isn't helpful. First, a little background. My dad strongly believed there was a right way and a wrong way to do anything. You name it, he knew it. Needing to mow your lawn? There's a right way. Wanting to invest in the stock market? He knew the right way. Hoping to grow a wonderful garden? He had it down. Needing to plan a perfect vacation? He knew exactly how to do it. Yes, I realized that objectively, his right wasn't necessarily everyone else's right. But in my dad's world, there was a right way and a wrong way, regardless of who you were and what you preferred. Not surprisingly, he passed the need to do it the right way on to me. He had a lot of rules for traveling, where to eat, what time to eat, how to get there, how early to arrive, what to order, on and on and on. Lots of rules. And I, being a dutiful daughter, knew how to follow the rules because the praise I received when I followed the rules was like candy to a baby. I lived for it. So before he died, I would be the one who made all the reservations, planned the perfect place and time for dinner, and lapped up all of his praise all of the ways I had done it right. So back to the first vacation we took without my dad, just me, my mom, and my husband. As we're walking along the beach headed to a new dinner spot, I was sharing what I'd researched about the place with my mom and my husband and regaling them with the rest of the week's schedule. Unknowingly, I was going through a familiar routine, share all the right things I'd done, and get ready to lap up the praise. Except my mom and my husband They don't care about eating at the right place or at the right time. They are not rule followers. They are fly by the seat of your pants, people. So they didn't give me any praise. They just said, well, that sounds good. I'm sure whatever you pick is going to be great. I will never forget that moment it hit me. As I stood there, wind blowing on my face, sand beneath my feet, I realized how much energy I had spent on doing it right, how hooked into it I was, and how much this value controlled my life. And I started getting curious about it. You're listening to The Happier Approach, the show that pulls back the curtain on the need to succeed, hustle, and achieve at the price of our inner peace and relationships. I'm your host, Nancy Jane Smith. When I first realized that I'd inherited this need to do it right for my dad, I was sad. I realized no matter how hard I worked to do things the right way, I would never again get the praise from my father. And then, as I got more curious, I could see how this desire to do it the right way infiltrated almost all of my life. On one hand, doing it the right way gave me peace, and on the other hand, it kept me in shackles. This month, we're exploring the unique values of someone with high-functioning anxiety. Last week, we talked with Beryl Young about the value of creativity, and this week, I'm talking about the value of doing it right. Many of my clients live for doing it right. There is nothing as amazing as hearing, yes, you're doing it right. In fact, one of the most popular phrases I hear from clients is, I did okay, right? Or that's okay, right? Looking for affirmation that they did it right. So why is the need to do things the right way such a common experience of people with high-functioning anxiety? Doing it right, following the rules, being a good girl keeps us from criticism. And bonus, growing up either in a family of origin or through school or church, we learned that following the rules will get us lots of praise. It protects us from the anxiety of not knowing what to do next. It keeps us safe. At least that's what we convince ourselves. So what rules have you created for yourself? Do you have rules around travel plans? Do you have rules about how to load the dishwasher? Do you have rules about where to park in a parking lot or how to do the grocery shopping? I bet you have rules for just about everything. Here are three things I want to cover about the idea of doing it right. The first thing is, there is no right way. Not surprisingly, people who are looking for the right way, we tend to be perfectionists. We rationally know there is not one way to do anything. There is no right way. Yet, we spend our lives looking for it. The right way to drive, eat, work out, cook, do a project, trim a tree, you name it, we're looking for the right way. This belief leads us to a life of black and white thinking, where there is an absolute right way and an absolute wrong way in all situations. Our monger believes finding the right way will protect us from being attacked or criticized externally. Here are a few examples from my own life to show how sneaky these myths can be. There's a right way to walk the dog, first thing in the morning before 8am for 30 minutes. There's a right time to wake up. Waking up early, meaning before 7 a.m., bonus points if I can get up before 6.30 a.m. There's a right thing to eat for breakfast. Now, I go through phases with this one, but right now it's oatmeal with fruit. There's a right order to do the morning tasks. There's a right time to fall asleep. There's a right amount of sleep. Eight to nine hours, that's ideal. There's a right way to work out and a right amount of time to work out. 60 minutes is the amount of time, and it must be cardio with a little bit of weights. These rules become even more rigid because if you can't do it right, there is no sense doing it. For example, if I can't work out for 60 minutes, then I won't do it. There's no sense working out if it's not for 60 minutes. Hello, rigidity. When you start to pull apart these right-way myths, you start to see the faulty logic. Well, who decides right? When it comes to doing it right, the ironic thing is that right is very subjective. Your definition of right is different from mine because right is based on personal preferences, values, ideology, etc. And also, even if we meet our own standards and technically do it right, there will be no celebrating because we can always improve. We can always do it better. Even after my dad would praise me for picking the right restaurant for dinner, I would spend the rest of the evening scoping out the best table to request the next time we came in, because you can always improve on right. Oh, good grief. A great example of this never doing it right is efficiency. Efficiency is a right way measure for me. When I go to the grocery store, I have a lot of rules on how to do it right. But even if I accomplish my task in the most efficient way possible, I still beat myself up for something. I just never celebrate the win. Maybe I didn't pack the groceries in the car right, or I forgot to pick up the soap, or I picked the wrong checkout lane. I always fail. The second thing I want you to know about doing it right is the quest for right can lead to more judgment of others. Beware the BFF. She loves to come out and share how others aren't doing it right in order to make you feel better. Well, they aren't working out right. They didn't pack for their trip right. If only they knew how to pack correctly. They are running late. A better person would have left early. They walked out of the house in wet hair. What were they thinking? They're smoking. I mean, at least we don't do that. They picked the wrong grocery line. Judgy McJudgerson? Come on. As I've said before, when your monger is out in full force, that usually means your monger has been out in full force as well. So, judgment, especially unnecessarily super petty judgment, is time to get curious. Some questions I ask myself when I notice the BFF judgment what am I judging them for? How do I see that judgment in myself? Am I being a little rigid here? Does this really matter? What's the bigger picture? And where do I need to add some kindness for me? or for them. The third thing I want you to know about doing it right is duty versus joy. The thing about the quest for the right way is it keeps us stuck in duty. We miss the joy in life because we're so busy worrying about doing it right. For example, this podcast. I love writing my podcast. Honestly, I just love writing. Finding the right words, digging deep for the underlying meaning, asking myself, but how do I do this? Over and over, challenge myself to go deeper, simplify it more. And yet, often my writing, especially on these podcasts, gets too bogged down for me in doing it right. Writing the right message, using the right language, hitting the deadline, I get so caught up in the duty of it, I miss the joy. In a quest to protect myself from criticism, I miss the joy. This concept of duty versus joy has been a big one for me. The idea of choosing duty over joy, that makes me sad. I see how it plays out in my life, and I see how it plays out in my clients' lives. We miss the joy. Okay, so what can you do about it? There are lots of messages out there about break the rules, stop being a good girl. But this is bigger than just a mindset shift. This requires us to get curious and start picking at the rigidness that surrounds our lives. The part that gets overlooked by the theories that say, well, just stop doing that, is that we get something for doing it right. Whether that be a sense of security, praise, or less anxiety, when we stop doing it, it feels unsafe. It feels overwhelmingly scary. That's why we just can't stop doing it. It's too scary. Which is why curiosity is so key. After you notice the right way value rearing its ugly head, get curious. Ask yourself, what is this protecting me from? What am I afraid of? Am I choosing duty over joy? Be kind to yourself and loosen up that rigidity. Our tendency will be to judge ourselves, to say, good grief, here you go again. You're so rigid and judgy too. You know there is no right way. Come on. Instead, try, wow, this is really hard. Finding the right way is hardwired. I know it helped me in the past, but let's loosen that up a little bit. Or, it's so hard to feel this tied down to doing it right. Is this rule really needed? Can we rebel against the rule? Can you find some joy here? Because this line of thinking gets us stuck in absolutes, one way to notice this value playing out in your life is when you make if-then statements. If I don't go to the grocery store on the way home, then I'm a bad mom. If I don't work late, then I will get fired. If I commit to a dinner date, then I will be stuck the whole night. If I don't work out today, then I will be out of shape forever. See how those statements are absolutes of right and wrong. Your monger will never give you the win. You could always have done it better. But in all honesty, there is no right. There are no absolutes. When you catch yourself engaging in all or nothing if then statements, challenge yourself to come up with as many options as possible, even if they seem absurd. Get in the practice of expanding your options. Give yourself a checkmark every time you choose joy over duty, or every time you notice an if then statement and loosen it up. Aim for 3 checkmarks a day. This type of exercise works with the love of checkmarks and accomplishment but in a positive way. For example, If I don't go to the grocery store tonight, then I can go tomorrow after work, or I can ask my partner to go, or I can bring a cooler to work and grab a few things on my lunch hour and do the big shopping on Saturday. If I don't work out today, then I can look at my schedule and find the best time to fit in a consistent workout. Maybe it would be best to do it in the morning or at lunch or turn some of my regular work meetings into walking meetings. Practice, practice, practice. Recently, a client of mine said, I wish you could just give me the freaking five-step approach, and then poof, I would be healed. Practice, practice, practice is annoying. Yep, I hear you. It certainly is. This is one thing I love about my work with clients via Voxer, because I can regularly remind them of how they're making progress. It's hard for us to see our own progress, so it is helpful to have friends, family, or a coach there to say, wow, look how far you've come. This is another form of positive reinforcement and a way to keep us doing this work. The work is more than just changing your mindset. It's really getting in there and changing hardwired patterns of duty, praise, and worthiness. Messages that we heard and swallowed for our own protection, benefit, or because we had no choice. And now we know they aren't serving us anymore. So it does take practice, practice, practice. But let's pick joy over duty. Let's be kind to ourselves. Let's remember this takes practice, but most of all, let's remember we got this. During this time of COVID-19, there are many unknowns, and most definitely, there is no right way to deal with this one. During this extraordinary long-term crisis, the normal high-functioning anxiety coping mechanisms—hustling, pushing, overachieving, and powering through—are not sustainable. We have to give our bodies and mind a rest. The catch is that's the last thing we want to do. One of the ways to ease our anxiety is to talk to someone. Yet, I know for many of my clients, finding the time and space to do a 60-minute session on video, although fantastic, isn't doable, which is why working with Voxer is so amazing. I'm offering a mini version of my Voxer work, nothing too intense, nothing too coachy, just a chance for you to vent, talk about what's most pressing, and have a neutral third party on the phone. I'm calling it Coach in Your Pocket, Just Checking In. Rather than a three-month commitment to completely regroup on your anxiety, Coach in Your Pocket, Just Checking In is a simple monthly program geared to helping you stay sane during this time. Voxer is an app you can download to your phone for free that allows you to record a message to me and I'll respond to you during my office hours. Over the course of 30 days, you have access to me anytime you're feeling anxious, having a monger attack, celebrating a win, or just needing to vent. Intrigued? Email me, nancyjane at live-happier.com, and we can talk or visit my website, live-happier.com, and click on Work With Me. Do you know someone who struggles with high-functioning anxiety? Please share this podcast with them. You can send them a link to the show website, live-happier.com forward slash podcast, or encourage them to listen via Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or Stitcher. For those with high functioning anxiety, we can feel so alone and asking for help is hard. Hearing from a trusted friend about a helpful resource can be a godsend, so don't underestimate the power in sharing.